0: Well, Henry, I'd like to thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Um, It's quite an honor to have you on here to record this episode, uh, especially because we've just known each other for so long. I feel like it's been decades at this point, and maybe it's almost been two. So I can't remember the exact point, but thanks for coming on, sharing more about Rocket Dollar and what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. And I think you're right. It's somewhere between one, but definitely closer to maybe two and possibly even longer now, decades that we've known each other.
0: Yeah, it's been been quite some time. So, well, Henry, why don't you give our guests a little background on what that time horizon has looked like for you over the decades that you've been in the business and really going from, you know, our days at Merrill Lynch to fiduciary 401k advisor to serial entrepreneur in in the same space.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds like a lot of different things, but I like to think that I've just basically capitalized on the one thing that I knew that I was almost forced into. So yeah, um, this was before you. So I guess when I started at Merrill, it was the year 2000 and 2000 was of course an interesting year because I, w- I started in Austin, Texas. Uh, for me, it was just purely designed as a temporary job. before I went off to law school, I wanted to make a few bucks. So I joined a company to get a paycheck be- to save up some money for law school. But it happened to be 2000. So at Merrill Lynch, I never really got the opportunity to do what you were supposed to do at Merrill when you started, which is you're supposed to go out and you're tried supposed to try to acquire wealthy individual clients to get them to move money to you so you can manage in the various platforms and offerings that Merrill had. Well, internet bubble was bursting. Austin was a tech-heavy town. And the only way that I actually was able to, to survive and thrive in that program was shifting that focus from trying to acquire individual clients high net worth folks of which I had no network of since I was 21 years old to actually helping people start a corporate 401k plan. So that's actually how I started the business. And now almost now over 20 years later, I've still effectively only created or started businesses or worked in the space around qualified tax advantaged corporate 401k, IRA, stock option plan type of account. So that's kind of the gist there. And I was there for 10 years. So I I survived through the credit crisis. So the next recession, the 2008, and I left in 2010. So I tell people that uh, I survived two recessions at Merrill. Merrill Lynch actually only survived one of those two. It was acquired <laughs> by Bank of America. And then in 2010, I had the opportunity to leave Merrill Lynch to go create a consulting and investment advisory shop to continue to do the same focus that i would had manage and administer corporate 401k plans as you mentioned a fiduciary advisor and so did that for four years and from that point on sold my stake in 2014 and i am on my second fintech wealth tech focused startup but both uh, my previous startup and the one i'm currently working with rocket dollar have always still been in that retirement 401k tax advantage space so i've never really done anything else so so i've I've done pretty well with sort of a one sort one Area specialization for twenty-two years now.
0: Well, you certainly are. I was actually uh, looking online and and it, uh, it's googling top self-directed IRA firms, and I noticed that you guys are on Investopedia's top six self-directed IRA firms in the country right now. So, congratulations for that. Certainly, yeah, that's thanks. a site site that that I hit a lot. You know, as as I'm looking at things online, that's a big deal. Yeah. So, well, I know for most people, self-directed IRAs, even some individuals who are, you know, considerably wealthy are still a relatively new thing, despite having been around for a very long time. You know, if, could you just give us a landscape of really starting maybe at the 30,000 foot view of just the retirement plan landscape that you're so familiar with, and then bring that down into the self-directed IRA space and tell us how Rocket Dollar fits in there.
1: Yeah. So, like us now, now that uh, we've known each other for a couple of decades, the retirement industry in and of itself is also a middle aged -aged man or middle aged person. uh, So, getting to be 40 to 50 years old. And when, when it started, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if they realize younger folks wouldn't know today, but and probably a lot of the wealthy clients that you work with, Kevin, you know, they've made their wealth probably as being equity owners of the business. But the average American person typically acquires wealth and typically one of maybe three ways. So it could be a transfer of wealth from other individuals in their family. It could be appreciation in their own asset base, primarily in their residence. And then secondly, they make very consistent ongoing long-term contributions to a corporate 401k plan is that typically third leg for the average retail investor. And the retirement industry actually was born out of the idea that The government and businesses wanted to shift the responsibility of saving in retirement accounts and creating wealth to the individual and away from the company. So when these plans started, more people in America were actually covered by pension plans. So that was a guaranteed payout on a yearly basis after you stopped being in the employee of a corporation of which you were typically expected to be at for usually 10, 20, 30 years and possibly your entire career. You don't really see that as much anymore. So the industry kind of grew out of a shifting of responsibility from businesses providing for retirement for past employees to individuals providing for themselves and creating accounts and accumulating assets for their own retirement. And that industry grew and grew and grew. And what's interesting, so this ties back into the more modern period of which I've worked in this and maybe also a cause for the shift in my career was that I worked in the 401k space until 2014. So that's when I sold my stake in my 401k consulting practice. But in 2012, an interesting shift happened. The amount of monies in corporate sponsored 401k plans actually was passed by the amount of money held by individual retirement accounts. So I think the combination of a lot of things, there just people switching jobs quite frequently, not keeping long as long a tenure at companies, but light bulb went off for me that. You should probably think about shifting away, Henry, from the 401k side, corporate plan to the individual side, because it looked like the individual side was going to start to have more and more money, and it wasn't going to slow down. It was going to continue to pass 401ks. You asked about self-directed space, self-directed, a little bit of a misnomer, but self-directed IRAs, the technical definition, are IRA accounts that use those dollars to invest in anything that's not a public stock bond or mutual fund, Mm -hmm. a little bit unusual. And they've existed in the codified IRS rules since the 1970s, the creation of the original IRAs and 401k plans, but it was just little known. So in a way they're actually just as old as any IRA or 401k plan that all of us know. That's pretty ubiquitous today, but there's been a cottage industry. And even now I read a recent report That when i started rocket dollar in 2018 it was estimated that 250 billion out of roughly 14 trillion in ira assets was invested in alternatives in a self-directed ira a census recently updated those numbers to show that they believe the number is closer to 400 billion but that's still 400 billion out of 14 to 15 trillion ish dollars that's going into anything other than stocks funds and mutual funds and i just thought that you know for me with my background Getting into the self-directed IRA space, uh, I can see a world where maybe 10, 15, 20, even 50% of overall IRA assets held by individual retail investors could possibly be invested in something that's not a traditional stock, bond, or mutual fund. So that's kind of the genesis for the business I'm currently working on, Rocket Dollar. Yeah, happens.
0: wonderful. That's I love it when you give the context of the numbers and the size and scope of the amount of assets that are in retirement dollars. Because they're almost so big that it, you can't comprehend them, right? When you, when you talk about an average person, you talk in billions that you've already lost them at that point. But when you start right. talking about $15 trillion in retirement assets, and then understanding working in the industry that I do, where a lot of wealth is created and generated, it is not in the public markets. It is in private businesses. It is in real estate. A lot of wealth is preserved. In real estate, we see that quite often, and even mm-hmm. even in what we would call more enterprise businesses, cash flowing type businesses, that people just want to owe a, own a great business that has great cash flow that hasn't been taken through an IPO. And exactly. you know, every now and then you get the you get the ability to invest in those, and to do them inside a tax advantage structure can be can be really beneficial. Um, right. You know, you talked about types of IRAs, as IRAs being codified in the code since the 1970s, I think what a lot of people don't know is there are really two types of self-directed IRAs, more of the traditional custody model IRA versus the checkbook self-directed IRA, which is what your company is. Could you give us just a, a brief primer on that?
1: Sure. And we do, we do both. So we're about 50-50 oh, okay. now. Okay. So when we started, we were probably that more what we might be considered the, the less known checkbook LLC IRAs. And, but we now have 50 50 overall between custodial and the checkbook ones. But just to give a, a high level distinction of what the difference is that the custodial one is actually a little bit analogous to your traditional IRAs that, that we all know about right now. So let's say one that you might be holding with your, your wealth advisor. Um, and even your wealth advisor is probably custodying on the back end at some place like Charles Schwab, w- which you could work with directly as well. So when you have an IRA, it is technically never actually owned directly in an individual's name. So the misnomer is mm-hmm. that, so there's a couple of misnomers and I think maybe this podcast, it's uh, if nothing else, this episode might be a, Hey, something I didn't know before listening to this one episode, but IRA accounts, technically the IRA is an acronym that stands for individual retirement arrangement. arrangement. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of people think it's account, but the technical term is arrangement. Uh, so it's a structure of an account. It's an arrangement. And it, because of that arrangement structure, it has to be custodied. So even your normal IRA at Charles Schwab will typically have the name of some custodial partner first, for the benefit of Kevin Kalaki or Henry Yoshida, and so forth. So that's a custodial IRA where the custodian basically holds the account and is willing to basically custody for the benefit of that individual. So hence the individual in the IRA. And the LLC model is almost the same. The only difference being that the custodial provider is only providing custodial services to a single member LLC entity that is in that individual's name. And the difference in that one structure might be that in the typical custodial self-directed IRA or the custodial IRA, you would the custodian provider would have knowledge and information on every single holding inside of that account because they're custodying it directly. So if you have 10 private investments or 50 publicly traded stocks, they would know each of those individually. When you custody the LLC, it's a little bit opaque to that trust and custody provider. So it provides a little more privacy, so to speak, um, a little more opacity for the owner, uh, the ultimate uh, beneficial owner of the IRA account, if they hold it in LLCs, because the custody provider is only custodying the LLC. And then what happens inside the LLC is not really detailed on a line by line item. So mm-hmm. that that may be the big, big difference. And we started with that first. Um, that Investopedia article that you referenced is that we were listed among the six best self-directed IRA providers. But if I'm thinking about the same article or the ranking that you're referencing, we were actually considered the best self-directed IRA provider for larger accounts or people Correct. that might do real estate investing. Correct. Yeah. And part of that was because of our sort of 50-50 with a specialization in these LLC ones where Typically, larger dollar accounts probably don't feel like, hey, my custody provider doesn't need to know all 10 private investments I made. So in this case, they know the LLC. And then what transactions inside that LLC is actually the business of the owner, the beneficial owner. So that's what we specialize in. And I would say those are the two differences. And we actually, unlike almost every provider out there, we actually offer both kinds of IRAs at the exact same price. And it's just a personal preference for the individual. In which they choose to do with us, but typically more active or desiring a little more privacy, we'll go with the LLC side on ours. If you're indifferent, you probably go to the custodial side with us. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: So since we're talking about you know legal structure and the difference between the two, there really is no perfect investment vehicle. Although this is one that's fairly close to it when it comes to both taxes and and. The least amount of regulatory grab into them. what are, are what are the catches or or are there any not necessarily pitfalls, but there are there any rules that investors need to be aware of when they're making investments in self-directed IRAs?
1: Yeah, so I think if we go back for a second right now, you know I think we never we didn't we didn't touch on why there's such a discrepancy. If it's always been allowed, why is such a small percentage of overall assets mm. in the tens mm-hmm. of trillions now? in anything other than public stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. So why is this ratio, let's say, 29 to 1, for example, when maybe realistically it could be 80-20, 50-50, 40-60, and so forth between public and private investments. And I think the traditional financial services industry has sort of always indicated that, hey, if you buy a publicly traded stock or a registered investment company product, which is a mutual fund or ETF, for example, then you adhere to some of the main rules of an IRA that are just there regardless of whether it's self-directed and private alternative investments or it's held in public uh, registered investments and that is that you have a little bit of an arms-length separation from that investment you don't benefit personally and so forth um and i think that people have always thought that well if i stick with S&P 500 public stock type investments then i kind of am always ensuring that i'm a little bit removed. Uh, there's no conflict of interest for that. So answering your question directly of what are the rules and the alls? Well, it's pretty simple. The IRS is typically defined that there's only two investments by co- code law, written co- codified law that you can invest in. And those are collectibles and life insurance inside of an IRA. Hmm. But the extension of that is that you cannot invest in something where you receive a personal benefit You can't do a prohibited transaction and you can't do that any transaction with a disqualified person. So let me kind of define that real quick for just kind of a casual podcast listener in your audience, which obviously tilts a little bit more financially sophisticated. But again, you know, no one wants to listen to a 30 minute tax IRS code uh, episode. Uh, You might, but I don't know if your broader audience would. Correct. So just to kind of define that here, then... A prohibited transaction is again if you don't have this, this arm's length separation, so you can't buy shares in a business where you sit on the board, where you have outsized control of what that business does with the money. And a disqualified person is actually pretty pretty specifically defined as well, so you can't invest in a business or invest in a property. That you might rent out to your direct relative so think like directly up and directly sideways so you couldn't do business with your brother sister a sibling a direct sibling you couldn't do business with a generation up your mother father or your children you know son daughter whoever that may be but oddly enough you can invest in the business of a cousin you know for example because that's not either one of those that i described either directly up or directly sideways and so forth so really with self-directed iras you have restrictions in terms of who you can do business with and what transactions might be prohibited. And then specifically codified across all, all individual retirement arrangements are that you cannot invest in collectibles or life insurance. And I think the industry grew up thinking that, well, okay, instead of having to like run a test on every single investment that you do to determine whether you're in the okay zone for doing this investment then clearly, if you just stick with public investments, you won't have that problem. And that's actually why whenever you open an investment account, they always ask you if you're a 10% or -hmm. more shareholder of a publicly traded company. If you answered yes, you need to provide that ticker symbol or company name, or if you're a board director of a publicly traded company, or if you work for a self-regulatory organization. So I think you know 99.9% of people just check no to all three, four of those questions. Mm -hmm. But there is that 0.1 that has to answer proactively, to those questions at times. And if you do that, then all of a sudden you may have restrictions for a couple of publicly registered investments that you might try to purchase within your IRA account.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So speaking of restrictions, I know in the media, a number of what we would call mega Roths get a lot of attention. And it has to do with, again, how things were originally set up and then the introduction of the Roth IRA conversion. Could you give us just an overview of that and let us know how guys like Peter Thiel and Mitt Romney can get billions of dollars into their Roth IRAs?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. It hasn't made a lot of press. And I think it's, it's funny that I don't think there's any other scenario where you might have a career private equity founder turned politician who almost became U.S. president, been governor of of a state, and now sitting U.S. senator in Utah, in the same line talked about with a Silicon Valley contrarian libertarian (laughs) multi-billionaire who was the first institutional investor in Facebook. Um, So for those that aren't aware, I, I described Mitt Romney first, and I described Peter Thiel second. But these people, they have a different sort of claim to fame as well, which is that both of them actually have a nine and in Peter Thiel's case, a 10 figure uh, retirement account or an IRA account and so forth. And they've done that because they were able to know that they could invest these in these account arrangements into private investments. And they did it at a very low cost basis. And some of those investments uh, obviously had tremendous increases in value. So in Mitt Romney's case, It was the carried interest for early Bain Capital deals, of which people may not know, but he was one of the co-founders of Bain Capital. And in Peter Thiel's case, it was his investment in companies that he had founded, PayPal uh, specifically, and Facebook uh, as an investor. Now, just so you know, I will qualify the statement, and articles don't mention this, but technically, his investment in PayPal should have been disallowed based on exactly what I said two and a half minutes ago, which is that... You know, he was clearly in a control position, but mm-hmm. it was beyond the time. And of course, they were acquired by eBay for $1.65 billion. So they removed quite a bit from that actual sale. So nothing was ever done there. And they, in both those cases, they actually characterize them as Roth. I would say that I don't, I don't actually know this for a fact, but I don't think either one of them did a Roth conversion uh, also. Uh, I actually okay. think that, you know, the other thing of wealthy people as well, you have a lot of the most popular salary level in the S and P 500 is actually $1 per Mm. year in salary. And it's because a business owner can control their income, uh, for tax purposes. And a lot of these people, I think they were actually making under the contribution limits for Roth in technical salary, even though their net worth was in far excess. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's kind of how they did these particular things. And, and you know, in a way, maybe this is a good segue into sort of explaining why we started Rocket Dollar in the first place. I mean, I'm a career financial services guy helping people get into these tax advantaged accounts. And I just thought that, you know, there's a lot of fintech products out there that introduce what we uh, people that are listening to this podcast episode take for granted as traditional regular financial services and banking services that are available to us that may not be available to folks with of lesser means. And I just flipped it on its head as an entrepreneur, thinking that, well, Peter Thiel and Mitt Romney are among the 0.01% of wealth holders in America, and maybe I can make a strategy that they've actually used to great benefit to themselves and make that available to maybe the top 25% of income earners in the U.S. So make this like a solid, maybe upper middle class product for a couple hundred bucks a year and let you have the same capabilities of a Peter Thiel. I just may not be able to help you find that next Facebook. Yeah, that's
0: for sure. For sure, well, and I think too. I one of the reasons that I mentioned that, and I'm glad you highlighted that you can't do the PayPal thing like Peter Thiel did, is that it's just to avoid a lot of phone calls about wanting to put their own companies, you know, make make stock purchases at their own companies. But also, just talk about, you know, the world of alternatives to most people is still relatively foreign as well and to they think you know real estate and you know maybe gold and hear a lot of these commercials for gold iras but the reality is and you can see this even on the rocket dollar platform looking down at all of the partner companies there are many different things you know alternatives is a wide wide moat of things in which you can invest we've been seeing you know, roughly an even breakdown in terms of deals that we've been reviewing on the private side. It's been about a third real estate, a third growth equity, and a third venture. But those are just three of many different asset classes. You know, what are some of the ones that you traditionally see sought after by self-directed IRA investors? And what are some of the new kind of up and coming asset classes that you think will continue to grow inside self-directed IRAs?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that it's interesting that advertising on TV very heavily for gold and precious metals IRAs. Um, we don't actually see too, too much of that. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, that was just a way for people to direct retirement or tax advantage accounts in the past. Just something different that was easily accessible. But I think to your point, you just mentioned that now there's more and more opportunities and more, uh, I guess, organizations and platforms that have really provided accessibility to previously inaccessible, very large dollar investments. So I, I think immediately to commercial real estate, uh, ability to get into probably early stage technology, venture-backed companies, and then maybe third is private equity. So the all three of those now have had different platforms or different organizations or different opportunities to where they've now chopped this up and made it available to not quite, I would say, the middle-class retail American investor, but probably accredited investor, and in some cases, maybe only qualified. But when you get to accredited, now you're talking to the level of maybe 10 to 12 million uh, people in the United States. So that's a pretty significant group of people. And if each of those are doing $50,000 investments, well, now that's a meaningful dollar amount where if you are David Rubenstein at Carlisle, or if you're the heads of Tiger Global to create feeder funds that might become available for that Upper middle class accredited investor tapping into a portion of their retirement accounts by virtue of a self-directed IRA. So that's worth it. So I think that it's those asset classes that are going to continue to grow. Maybe I would say that more recently crypto has, but in the last year, I I would probably, if I were still in the business of advising clients directly, and you know, I, I used to do what what you do, Kevin. For a long time, if I were in that business, I might actually be inclined to tell people to take advantage of of digital assets and cryptocurrency and taxable accounts for tax loss harvesting purposes mm-hmm. now, because right now there is no wash rules. No wash there. Rules. Probably a lot of losses that you could take. So I'm not sure that that today, uh, speaking here in late 2022, is the best thing in a self directed IRA. But I do think that uh, there's going to be a significant increase in holdings related to private equity, direct investments via feeder funds or syndicates or SPVs into private technology companies, and then uh, also private equity as well. I think those yeah. will be big, big, you know, benefactors.
0: Yeah, I agree. As, as we see all of the, almost the democratization of alternatives continue to explode, you're going to see, as you said, the Black, Blackstones, the Carlisles, the KKA's of the world continue to create feeder funds to, to bring in these dollars because they're there and people like you are performing what I call the connector tool. You're, you're being the facilitator of dollars in retirement accounts that can now at least strive to achieve the type of growth and alpha that um, a lot of people were only getting before in a qualified purchaser setting.
1: Exactly, and you know what's funny is uh, I've I've been in financial services in some way, shape, or form, whether through um, Honest Dollar, my last startup, or Rocket Dollar, the current digital self-directed IRA platform, and then prior to that, as an as an investment advisor with an RIA and a warehouse person for ten years at Merrill. And ironically enough, I look back on that time that a lot of what I've been able to do from a success standpoint has not been by trying to to tell people that they should invest in one particular investment or asset class or the other, I've really more stood for you should diversify in the way that you hold these investments. So every person of, let's say, uh, middle means and higher. So let's say this is this maybe like single digit millionaire up to like maybe the lower rung of high net worth. So not ultra high net worth. But I would say that there's a balance. Those people in that range typically have some portion of assets in these tax advantage long term accounts, but they also have a component that's in taxable traditional brokerage type of accounts. And so if they think about it, they should look at each particular asset of which one is better to hold in what side. So my tax deferred long-term time horizon or my you know immediately available if I need it. Uh, and probably the cost basis will always stick very close to like what the actual asset value is gonna be. I should maybe hold that in my brokerage account. So that hence, that's why I think that the attractiveness of maybe these gold IRAs or precious metals IRAs are gonna go away because... They've never really gotten too far away from where you buy it. If I were to buy $100,000 of gold right now, my expectation would not be for that gold to be worth $2.1 million 10 years from now. My expectation Mm -hmm. would be that it's going to be worth $200,000 as an inflation hedge and doubling, which that in and of itself is being generous. That would be a 7% rate of return. So I'm probably even off there. Maybe I should lower those expectations to 150,000 10 years from now and expect to get a real rate of return of closer to three, three and a half. Yeah, I, w- and I don't that, want to hold that in IRA. Yeah,
0: exactly, and, and I think too. Also, collectibles have a different tax rate, you know, than than normal investments, and so it's always prudent to be in touch with your tax advisor, your CPA, to ensure that you're actually putting the right investments into the right structure. I mean, part of that asset location can be very important. Uh, exactly. Maybe that's like what overall that, wealth.
1: That's what hopefully wealth advisors will look at us for, because I think that for me. I don't try to stand for any one particular type of investment or philosophy. I just represent that look, there's a little bit of a disconnect here because in the retail investor world of which 37 and a half trillion is held overall in all retirement accounts. So that's pension, that's annuity IRAs, that's IRAs, that's 401k's, you name it. We're talking about the subsegment that is IRAs, which is about 13 to 15 trillion depending on the markets right now and what the ICI data will show. But inside of that There's a split of 300 to 400 billion, whether you're using a census's numbers or Rita's numbers, somewhere in between those two numbers of 300 to 400 billion out of 15 trillion Mm -hmm. invested in alts. But if I were to landscape, and you might know how to do this better than me uh, with the type of client base that you run, that if we were to to pull the institutional investment consultants right here. Let's say the pensions, endowments, or like the what the quote-unquote smart institutional money is doing right now. I don't think that split's going to be 96.4 between just traditional S&P no. 500 stock investments to all alts. Yeah, I right know. I mean, that number you could tell me. It's maybe fifty-fifty.
0: Yeah, it's it's somewhere between forty and sixty percent is where you see the ultra-high net worth allocating to alternative investments. You know, a lot of it has to do with liquidity structure for the the family personally, but also, you know, there's um, th- there's two factors to that. You know, one is which I think you're a big proponent of too is invest in something you know you know i think most people understand real estate because it's tangible there's cash flow there's benefits they can go see it things of that nature and so i think a lot of you know our families that way too they invest in things that they know and can understand and when it gets sure. beyond that they just don't bother because they really don't have to you know but speaking of advisors being more involved in this process you know on a forward looking can you give us a preview is there a b2b platform coming for ras and wealth managers
1: yeah. So I don't I don't know if we're going to completely flip to try to be a B2B platform. So for us to be a true B2B platform, that would be that we decided to basically obfuscate, let's say, the rocket dollar name on our technology and then enable private investment issuers or other wealth management platforms or TAMPs, mm. whoever it may be, mm-hmm. or even wealth management firms or brokerage houses to basically offer our capability. So that is something that we've looked at. I would say that we're fully capable of doing so. But but I don't know that that's in our immediate plans. I think the more immediate, which might be more of a B2B to C type of hybrid, is that, you know, I come from the background of being a longtime wealth advisor, RAA, and someone who's very, very sort of sensitive to what I think it takes to be an advisor in the business today. So I want to build these hybrid tools to where a financial advisor who runs a typical book of 50 to 60 clients might say, you know, I have 15 clients that really could benefit uh, from diversification in their IRA, old 401k part of their accounts into things that uh, are in the private and alternative space. But I need a go-to provider and and that provider needs to not just be competitive from a pricing standpoint, be good from a technology standpoint. Uh, And in our case, you could add to that, that maybe we could, would be founded and headed by someone who used to be in their shoes. And -hmm. then second, that would give them insight or me insight into how to build these tools that are relevant. And I think the main one is uh, the ability to see across those 15 relationships you might have with us at Rocket Dollar, you know, uh, ability to do a data feed back into your current uh, asset management platform that you may exactly. be using to run your particular practice. And, and you know, everyone runs redundant custodians to clear through. Mm-hmm. Everyone also runs redundant TAMS as well. So I, th- I think me being a founder who came from that industry and, and spent more years in that than I have as a tech entrepreneur, quite frankly, and, and I'm very open and transparent about that, I want to think about how do we give the broadest reach and how do we give the new tool set? Because I think institutional money always is a leading indicator for how retail investors will invest over time. So if I know right now the 96 4 split in the retail world within the retirement account space exists, and you just told me from your perch as a more institutional family office, multifamily office type investor is that it's 40 to 60%. Well, that's just a natural progression. That means that the type of accounts that I run right now are expected to have a 10 to 20 fold increase. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I probably need to be set up in a way to sort of work with the group that's in between, which is the wealth advisors of America.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say definitely when it comes to, Looking at partnerships, you know, it's, it's, I think you hit that, you know, can you do good? Can you provide good service? Can you provide good technology? And then can you provide excellent education? And I think that's one thing I wanted to highlight about Rocket Dollar. And maybe we can use this to wrap up today is, you know, where can our listeners go on rocketdollar.com to learn more about self directed IRAs and all the ins and outs? I know you've done a lot of work since you started the company on making sure that education gets out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, we have a we have a very well developed. Uh, so a couple of things you learn in the in when you're in the tech space, but uh, you you always have to give a different name to something that's known by a different name, uh, a more traditional name in the regular world. So what what a lot of the audience may know is the FAQ, which is an acronym mm-hmm. for frequently asked questions. Uh, apparently, in the technology startup world, you're supposed to call that your knowledge base. So knowledge base, at, yes. At Rocket Dollar, we have a knowledge base, which to everyone else in the world would be known as an FAQ. There is a lot of information and there, there's search bars in there. So we've, we've indexed hundreds of articles and one of the things that we're really proud of, we made an early decision to actually index those at their own web domain. So we can kind of get a sense and tracking of what questions are getting asked, depending on what's mm-hmm. happening in the overall environment um, or as our company matures and all that stuff is accessible. It's not behind a wall after you become a customer or a registered user on our platform. Those are available all the time, and and you know I can see the competitors of ours. I get questions. I mean, I was actually talking to my wife. She, her her manager at her job wanted to buy some real estate in a self directed IRA. Actually had an opened account with a competitor of ours. Had a question that uh, her and her tax advisor were kind of trying to settle on what was the right path forward. And I was informed, my wife told me, that the answer was actually on our knowledge base. Oh, wow. Um, and this is someone who has an account with a competitor. But again, it, it's there as information. I mean, this is um, this is a very well-developed space with, with a lot of history, but I get that it's not something that is known by everyone right now. And hopefully we have this one spot at rocketdollar.com and then you can click on the learn more section of that. And you can find these articles, you could just type questions in and really learn a lot about it. And that's all before having to be a customer of ours. And if you want to know everything at a high level, um, you can provide your email address to us. And you could download our ebook, which is just kind of a quick, concise, 59 page summary of self-directed IRAs, what they're used for the rules behind them. And that was written by myself and my co-founder. Wonderful. Second edition's out now. Oh, great. Great, great.
0: Well, Henry, I know we're up against our time here. I want to thank you again for hopping on the podcast today, sharing with our listeners uh, as really someone I consider one of the preeminent experts in this field uh, of self directed IRAs and even retirement accounts going above that. I mean, I've just never run into someone who knew so much about every single detail. So thank you for helping us keep it high level today and not diving into too many of those. And as always, my friends, great to see you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to watching the success of Rocket Dollar as you
1: continue to grow. Thanks for having us, Kevin. And and thank you. Thank you very much for letting us share our story with your audience. You bet.
2: Thank you for listening to the Uncorrelated Minds Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the show notes page for links to further information at www.cineseracapital.com. Cinesera Capital is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Cineseracapital and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investors particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor. All information has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy, reliability, or completeness of or liability for decisions based on such information and it should not be relied on as such. The views expressed in this commentary are subject to change based on market and other conditions. These documents may contain certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking statements Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance, and actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected. Any projections, market outlooks, or estimates are based upon certain assumptions and should not be construed as indicative of actual events that will occur.